Hello, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship with Pastor John Gilbert. Pleasure to be back with you again. Always looking forward to coming. It's a pleasure and a joy to be here. Now, we had our opening reading, which was Exodus chapter 4. The last chapter in Exodus, where quite a lot of the book of Exodus is given over to the instruction given to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle. All had to be done in a very, very precise and exact way. There's lessons to be done there straight away. God tells us how He wants things. Uh, it's not for us to decide for ourselves. There's far more to coming into God's presence and worshiping Him than just doing what feels good to us. The absolute extreme of it, of course, we see it when we look at Judges, where you've got that awful expression used several times. It's not acceptable to God. What's acceptable to God is when we are obedient and we do things the way He's instructed. And it's very notable when you read through that last chapter of Exodus that again and again it's as God commanded. And you read, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And they're good lessons for us all to learn. The communion table is laid. What I would like to do is to preach with the communion in mind and to lead into the communion with my conclusions. So keep that on the back burner, as it were, and in the back of your mind with what I'm saying today about the Lord Jesus. It all leads to the communion table and the wonderful, wonderful once for all sacrifice. The New Testament reading is the opening verses of John's Gospel, the prologue of John. Are you putting that up on the screen? Yeah. What version will that be? Uh, whatever, what, uh, what New King James? Right. Oh, okay, well, that's what I've got here. I, I didn't want to read a different version to what was going up there. So John, and we'll read the, what we would consider to be the prologue, of, we'll read the first 14 verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear this witness of the Lord, that all through him believe. He was not that Lord, but was sent to bear witness of the Lord. But was the true Lord, which gives life to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world was not made. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of God, nor of the will of the flesh, 
Exodus chapter 40, we looked at the um, completion of the construction of the pattern. That's important that we know that because that's what we're going to find in with now. So we've just read the prologue of John's Gospel. Does anybody know what the connection is between the two? The word tabernacled. Well done. Yeah, the word tabernacled. We read there the word flesh and dwelt amongst us. And in the Greek, that word is the word tabernacle. It quite literally says, the word became flesh and tabernacle. Which is wonderful. But that's a whole new depth to that little verse. A whole new depth. And as a preacher, and preachers and teachers often have completely different styles. There isn't necessarily a right style or a wrong style or a right way of doing it or a wrong way of doing it. We're all different in the same way that the gospel writers were. They were all given by the Holy Spirit. You can still see their individual stamp and personality on what they wrote. And as a preacher, I think I can honestly say my greatest joy is preaching Christ from the Old drawing the two together. It, it helps me to always remember, and hopefully encourages other people to always remember that this book the Bible that we have before us is a unified whole. It's not Old Testament, New Testament, and there the twain shall meet. It's a unified whole. And as Lord Jesus made that very clear, he says at one point, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you'll find eternal life. But they speak of me. And they do indeed. The Old Testament scriptures speak of him. You read all through the book of Exodus and then the next three books beyond and they're, they're all about what Moses did. But always remember, Moses gives that wonderful promise in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto you. And the Lord Jesus was that prophet like unto Moses. He was the absolute fulfillment of everything that Moses typified and foreshadowed. And it's a very worthwhile exercise to really deeply study everything that Moses said and did, and everything that God said to him and required of him, because you will see the Lord Jesus in it all. It's really wonderful. So, what I'd like to do this morning is, and with communion in mind, give some, really some bullet points, and hopefully encourage you to search into this on a deeper level yourselves is this whole area of study of the tabernacle, the Old Testament Christmas tabernacle, and what it says about Christ becoming Messiah and his ministry. There isn't time to go into it all, it will take weeks and weeks and weeks as you'll find if you start to study it deeply. But just a few bullet points 
point you in the right direction. And as I say, hopefully encourage you in this. The first point, and it is a very obvious one, is that the tabernacle was a temporary construction and dwelling. It was a temporary thing, particularly when compared with the later temple. When the first temple was built by Solomon, it was in no ways intended to be temporary at all. It was, in a sense, temporary, because eventually, of course, it was destroyed. But it was built with proper foundations, it was built with stone as well as timber. It wasn't something you could pick up and move around, pack up and move around as he took the tabernacle. It was a temporary thing. And we learn a lot from that. The patriarchs, they dwelt in tents. And I'm not saying it's wrong for us now to live in houses, to look out there and there's all these brick built houses, they're not things you can pick up and move around. Of course, it's not wrong in that day to live in a house rather than a tent. But what we have to remember is whatever you see in Scripture um, describing or presenting to you the physical, it will always carry a much deeper spiritual meaning in truth. And the deeper spiritual meaning in truth, and the difference between temporary and permanent, is we ought to consider this world as our permanent foe. We we all know the expression, don't we? It's one of the first things I was taught when I was converted 30 odd years ago. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, yeah? We're passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's wonderful, isn't it, you know? Our Lord Jesus made it very clear, didn't he? In my Father's house in many mansions, I go to him. Go to prepare a place for you. Here's the promise. I will come back and take you to myself. So we are passing through. And we see that with the Lord Jesus. He was continually on the move. And he put it very succinctly himself, didn't he? He said, Well, Birds of the air have got their nests. Even the foxes have got a hole in the ground. But somehow has no below his head. And we all like to think of home as a place where we can lay out. He was passing through, and we're passing through. And the tabernacle. It was in the wilderness. Again, another very, very obvious point. It was in their wilderness wanderings that they had this tabernacle. And our Lord Jesus Christ came down into an absolute wilderness. He laid aside the glory and the majesty of heaven, perfect communion within the God. And he's born into the cattle stall and laid on a feeding trough. Absolute wilderness. And he was probably laid in a feeding trough to get him up off all the filth of the ground and rats and the bees and the rats. An absolute wilderness. And as we've already considered, he had nowhere. His head. He was laid in a manger, and at the end of it all, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And the only time he ever properly laid his head was at the cross. Because when he died, the way it's described is not that when he died, 
they just slump over. He cushioned his head into his breast and then gave up his spirit. And it's the only time that he properly laid and cushioned his head. It's when we died our sin. So the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. He became flesh. He took on human form, outward appearance, basic, humble humanity, glory, vile. Exactly like the covenant. If you read through the book of Exodus and read the construction of the tabernacle, from the outside it had, from the aesthetic point of view, it had nothing going for it at all. It was a rough tent. It was only when you went inside that you could appreciate the beauty of it. The instruction was given that all the hangings inside were to be of beautiful woven cloth, beautifully dyed, beautiful colours. This went right onto the temple as well, and all beautiful tapestries there, done in cunning work, we're told, golden thread. It was absolutely beautiful, but it was beautiful for the inside. And that's very because that most blessed of chapters of Isaiah 53 were told amongst many other things. He had no beauty or comeliness that we should desire. From the outside, he was just another man. He become flesh. Now, with the tabernacle, the average Israelite couldn't just wander into the tabernacle. Any more than he could just wander into the holy place in the temple. It was only for those that were called to God, to the initiating few, the priests, they were the ones that saw the inner beauty and appreciated and were in awe of the inner beauty of the tabernacle. Now you look at what's going on outside and around you. Are any of those people out there appreciating? The inner beauty and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ? No. If they did, they'd be in here. Or any of the other churches where the gospel is faithfully preached and God is honoured. Many of them that you are chosen There's a general call to salvation that most people at some time in their lives fear. Many of the call, you have chosen the effectual call, and I talked about this the last time I was with you, comes to a select few, comes to the elect, it comes to those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before eternity began. And we're the ones that are called and see the inner beauty. In the pattern. And it's one of the reasons why Peter says, You are a real priest. Yeah? priesthood. We're called into this unspeakable privilege and blessed position where we see the inner beauty of God's. The tabernacle, as we read in the last chapter of Exodus, when it was complete, 
the time of glory, the prayer of the prayer, comes down upon it, and God dwells within the tabernacle. It was God's dwelling place. He dwelt in the tabernacle and amongst his people. If we turn to Colossians chapter 2, we see the absolute perfect fulfillment of this. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the God of He is in perfect fulfillment of everything about the tabernacle. In him dwells all the fullness of the God of And the tabernacle was the place where God met with men. The Lord Jesus Christ was and is the meeting place between God and man. Turn quickly to 1 Timothy. Again, a very, very well known verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man of Christ Jesus, who laid himself ransom to all who testified in due time. It is through and in Jesus Christ that we meet with God. Just as it was in the tabernacle. <laughs> and it was the central part of the Israelites' life. The tabernacle wasn't parked way out on the fringes of all the camps. The tabernacle was central. And then the, the camps divided into four sections of trees the tribes of Israel were camped around the tabernacle. God was central in the tabernacle of all of Israelite life. And that's how Christ is to us, is he not? He is central to our life. He should be central to uh, every day life. John touched on this in his prayers when he, as we all did, quite rightly put out the challenge who preferred the penance, who preferred the who preferred this, who preferred that. Are we spending enough time with Christ and giving enough time to him? He needs to be central to our lives, but also he needs to be central to our worship. He's not clear forever. Our worship, whether it's singing hymns or whether it's as you're doing now, gathering around his word, whether it's when we're bowing our head in prayer, it's all worship. This, this whole idea of worship has been very very hijacked by the hyper-charismatic forces. And if you think of the word worship, then immediately think, oh yeah, that's when the music starts. No, 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 no. If you go right back to the beginning of the Old Testament, where worship is first used, and the Hebrew literally means to, to bow the knee and to subject to God's will. This is as much an act of worship as it is to results. It really, really is. And our whole worship is to be central, uh, sorry, centered around Christ. He is to be central to our worship. And when we understand that, 
and remember that, we'll appreciate even more the wonderful promise to the Lord There I am, there I am, in the midst of you, essential to everything that we do, particularly when we gather together. One of the things that's very notable in the Exodus passage that we read is it mentions the of the testimony that's in two stone tablets that are placed in the ark and are in the tabernacle. And this is wonderful because when you think it through, you think of the history of the stone tablets. Now, we know that they come out of Egypt and then Moses is called up onto the top of Mount Sinai to receive God's law. And he's gone for 40 days. And 40 in scripture, numbers are very important in scripture and they'll always carry a meaning. And the number 40 in scripture nearly always carries this meaning of testing and trial in some way or another. When our Lord was tested, it was for what he um, Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days, and while he's gone, the whole of the nation on this fire is so unbelievable. Moses is given the tablets, and he comes down, and he's confronted with the most appalling scenes of imagine. Just this drunken debauchery and idolatry, they go on car, they're worshipping that, they're, they're having a high old time of it. And Moses comes down and he smashes those two tablets containing the Ten Commandments. Now, this isn't some kind of temper tantrum. By Moses. If it was, God would have come down and come across. It was a very deliberate and pointed statement. Moses has his tablets, people are and Moses smashes the tablets. And he's making two very different statements. You are not worthy. To receive God's law, and you are not fit to and administer love. Two very, very different statements that are made, very damning statements. What's interesting is that the habits are a main point to see the most. But what happens to the men? The tablets are put in the ark of the covenant. And the ark of the covenant, again, is, 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 again, it's worth a really good study of. Maybe next time I can, I'll talk about the covenant. But it's very important. <coughs> everything about it speaks of God. And the fact that it's made of wood, it never perishes. And it's overlaid with gold, speaking of purity and kinship. And the Lord is placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, and then the lid is put on the cross. And then what happens to the lid? The lid is covered with blood of And so you now have God's law, but the people aren't exposed to it. God's law is now safely in a box with the blood of a substitutionary sacrifice between God's law and sinful man. Well, isn't that the case with every single one of us? Between 
God's holy law, which God himself said in the Old Testament, also in Leviticus, the soul that sins must die. And we will all sin before we talk to the glory of God. But between God's holy and perfect law and us sinning men, there is the blood of the perfect substitutionary sacrifice. All sorts bring us to the communion table. And so the law is placed inside the ark and it's inside the house. And the other thing to remember is it's unbroken law. The law given the first time is broken. And Moses smashes the tablets. The law is broken. The law is given the second time. And in its completeness, unbroken. It's placed in the heart and in the tabernacle. The word becomes flesh and tabernacle amongst us. In him was the unbroken law of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. It was such wonderful wonderful truth and thoughts and when we draw all together hopefully we're all coming to a, a deeper appreciation of the beauty and the wonder of that fact the word became flesh tabernacle amongst us and of course in this tabernacle that's where the priestly family were held. People bought their sacrifices, and if you read carefully through the laws in the book, first five books, we'll find that allocations are made to the priests from the sacrifices, from the bread that was offered, also from all the meat sacrifices. Some was to be burned at all as a sweet aroma, some was allocated to the priests for their meat, because they didn't work in the same way that other people work, and some people were put back home and could eat themselves. And so it was passing through the tabernacle that the priestly family were fed. Well, hopefully, when you come here week by week, you come here with a hunger and an appetite for God's word and a desire to be fed. It's, it's wonderful the way it's expressed such basic physical terminology by some of the New Testament writers. Paul uh, Peter, for example, says as spiritual bites, uh, first or pure spiritual milk. Well, babies, of course, they drink milk and they get their nourishment from it and they start to develop. But then Paul says, Paul says, is coming a time when we've all got to be what we are spiritual milk. You need meat, you need to be properly fed. And we had a preacher at our church recently, and I thought it was very good to welcome And he was talking about in his younger days when he used to do a lot of work for the females in the church and teaching them. And he said, I can give you lots of things. I can give you lots of facts, I can give you lots of information. What I can't give you is an appetite. And I thought, that's a good way of putting it. I made a note of that one. I'll use 
is what I can't give you is now. Let's all challenge ourselves on this Do we come here week by week with an attitude? Do we come wanting to be fed? Wanting to be edified? Do we come here wanting to know that when we live, we're just a little bit better of the bricks to serve God in the coming weeks? Whatever that might mean, Whatever the challenges are, whatever the pitfalls might be, whatever the obstructions might be, or attacks and fiery darts that are shot at us, are we a little bit better at Are we like a priestly family? Are we being spared? How long is going to go to say in John's Gospel in chapter 6? Verse 32, Jesus said to the Jews after the feeding of the multitude, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread. Didn't have a clue what he was on about. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never be and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Really feeding on Christ. Amen. It's not only where the Israelite went to be fed, but it was where the Israelite went to worship. We looked at this briefly when we said about it being a central point where they all gathered around. Of course, our Lord says in John 14, verse 6, and again, very I'm the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the central point where we worship God. And the last thought, which is really, really such a good thought to bring us to the communion table is uh, it's at the tabernacle but the sacrifice for sin was always made. We started with the thought that God was very specific in his instructions to us. God has said how he wants things done. God has told us how we are to do things and we need to understand from that if we decide to do things differently and do things our way, it will not be acceptable to God. And if you start reading the Bible right from the beginning, you'll only get to chapter 4 before you're presented with that truth, with the very obvious example of Cain. Cain decided he would Abel decided he would obey God and do things the way God had told him he wanted to done. And only one was acceptable to God. And so the tabernacle is where the sacrifices were to be bought and made. Only at the tabernacle. There is always the shedding of blood in love. And of course, when it comes to our Lord Jesus, I think Paul puts it best in his epistle to the Hebrews. Yes, I probably put that in I think Paul puts it best for the Hebrews when he, he starts by saying, 
király gyönyörű, és egy nagy És nagyon is, hogy sem. The blood of those and goats takes away not one single sin. It leads to no further wrath. My sins are temporarily covered. This is what a covenant means. The day of atonement was the day of covenant. The sins were covered from one year to the next. And in the following year, it all had to be done to the murder again. With the two, with two goats, the one that was sacrificed, the scapegoat, and the other sins, as the congregation laid on its head and was driven out into the wilderness, it had to be done again and again and again. But then, But Christ entered the holy of holies, not the of human hands. The holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple was just a foreshadow of the heavenly place where God was. And this is God, uh, sorry, Christ entered. The holy of holies not built by human hands. In other words, heaven itself, with its own. And can we even begin to imagine that? We've sung, haven't we? When I think that God, not spared, sent his son to die. It's so glorious and it's so comforting to know that we're told that it's time for faith that we believe in and that our faith is a gift from God. Be very thankful for that and please don't let anybody persuade you that faith is something that you produce yourself. Because if it is, you're very, very generous. Because I would dare anybody in this room to hold their hand up and say, yep, I understand all of this in my own strength and my own intelligence. Oh no, you don't. And we know that for sure because God's told us. God's assessment of man is there's none of us righteous, there's none of us in the power of God, and there's none that understands. Be very thankful that the grasp that we have on all of this is because we believe it in God-given faith. And that's where our safety and our security lies. I personally, humanly speaking, I says we can take meaning. Let alone stand here and give it all back out. Again, you can think I scarce can take it that we know that our God could have all the cross, my burden, he led him down to take away my cross. It doesn't come. I've got lots of favourite things, probably too many, but that is certainly one of my absolute favourites. Um, I should be very disappointed if it's not something I feel good. Not that I'm not going to be It's a wonderful, wonderful proclamation and declaration of human culture and Christian life. To the, to the unbelievers, hopefully there will be a few of the I can't think of a better witness for as far as the Hindu is concerned.
You see, what we're saying is, look, a hundred years you've done this, and you've always done this in remembrance of the Passover. But now you do this in remembrance of me. He makes all things new. This is new. This is different. And it arrests their attention. And he breaks the bread. And he gives them the bread. And he says, This is my body given for you. The word is the part of flesh. He's tabernacled amongst them. He's going to give his body to be used in ways that we can't even imagine. And then he takes that third cup of the blessing. This is my life. A new covenant. In all the days of coming, says the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old covenant which they got, but I'll write the rules my Lord from now. He says, This is my blood of the new covenant. And again, it's the same arresting thought. You've done all that in remembrance of what went before. But now, this is new, you do this in remembrance of me. These are miracle thoughts to bring us to the communion of the table. Thank you for joining us today. We meet at Grove Hill Community Center at 11.30 p.m. in Hemel Hempstead. God bless you.